Hey, this is Josh Herrera, and I'm the pastor of Lighthouse Church North County, and this is our podcast. Wherever you are and however you are listening, I want to say thank you for tuning in to what we are teaching at Lighthouse. Our desire is that these messages would help you to fulfill your God-given potential. If this message impacts you, share it with someone you know. We are on this journey together, becoming more like Jesus, one day and one step at a time. Now here's today's message. We hope it blesses you. Let's finish off this series, Reset. I've got something fresh for you. And um, here's what happened in the middle of this Reset series. We, we were going down this path, um, and, and God said, I want you to talk about vision for the rest of this series. So we've been talking about resetting our vision. And um, two weeks ago, we talked about getting a godly vision, getting a vision of seeing God for who he is and us for who we are. Last week, we talked about having a personal vision, how to create your own vision, what it looks like. And today going to continue on and finish this discussion back on the subject of vision. So with that, let's get ready to dig in. I'm going to go to Deuteronomy chapter 31, beginning at verse 1. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 1 reads as follows. When Moses had finished giving these instructions to all the people of Israel, he said, I am now 120 years old. I am no longer able to lead you. The Lord has told me you will not cross the Jordan River, but the Lord, your God himself will cross over ahead of you. He will destroy all of the nations living there and you will take possession of their land. Joshua, you will lead across the river just as the Lord promised. The Lord will destroy the nations living in the land just as he destroyed Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites. The Lord will hand over to you the people who live there and you must deal with them as I have commanded you. So be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not panic before them. For the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. He will neither fail you nor will he abandon you. For the next few moments, I want to talk to you on this thought. It's bigger than you. It's bigger than you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day and this time that we have shared together. I thank you, God, because from the moment we began our worship, Lord, we have felt you in our presence. And my prayer right now, God, is for everyone that is watching online, that they would receive exactly what you need for them to receive. Help us, Father, to not get distracted. Help us to focus in on what you are saying. We open up our hearts and our mind, Fathers, to receive your word. We ask all this in your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's bigger than you. Have you ever walked into something in life and uh, you went someplace, you were a part of something, and, and when you got there, it wasn't quite what you seemed, and you walked away from that experience thinking, oh man, that was so much bigger than what I anticipated. This happened to me one time in my life. I was 18 years old, and when I was 18 years old, I was all about music and church. I played the drums, and I gotta tell you, I wasn't too shabby, okay? And um, not only did I play for my local church at the time, but I had the opportunity to play for conferences and um, other churches. I got a chance to play outside of my local church, and um, on one occasion, I was playing for this worship conference, and this worship conference, get ready for this name, okay? This worship conference was called Shabbat. 
Come on, how do you, how you like it when we go back and just start using some, some Hebrew names for words, right? That was the name of the conference, the Shabbat Conference. And uh, that means to, you know, shout with a loud voice. And so I was playing the drums at this Shabbat Conference. And it was over at a church in Riverside. At the time, it was called Mission Worship Center. It's now called City Church, led by the one and only Pastor Justin Fraley. Pastor Justin, this is a shout out to you and the former church known as Mission worship center but um, I went to go play and um, I was at this really pivotal moment in my life and I was at this uh, crossroads in my Christian experience and so I was playing the drums and and um, and really enjoyed having the opportunity to do that but but God was shifting some things in my life so I go to this conference thinking you know I'm gonna play gonna go do my thing and 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 there was one time in a rehearsal for the conference that the power of God fell. I mean, it just saturated that rehearsal. And I remember some guys pulling me off the drums, laying hands on me and praying for me. And, 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 and when that prayer happened, I felt for the first time a release from a weight that I had been carrying. I, I felt like shackles that had held me for so long were finally released. What I tell people is I was saved when I was 11 years old, but I was converted then. To me, that felt like a true conversion moment for me. And, um, you know, it's kind of, uh, um, it, it's not necessarily one of the same because growing up in church, you know, at 11 years old, it's like, you know, accepting Jesus into your heart is what you did. And that was a very real moment for me when I was 11. But, you know, since then I lived. And, you know, in high school, I still lived for God, but I'd always make the right choices and I'd always didn't make the best decisions. But in that moment, I felt the power of God like I've never felt it before. And that was really the first of two encounters that confirmed that God was leading me into the path of ministry. He was actually leading me away from music where, where I was pretty happy with music and I, I love doing music and I love playing the drums and I, I was just going to be a drummer for the church and I was going to be a good one. You know, I was like, I'm, I'm going to be a great drummer. And um, God said, no, I'm, I'm pulling you into ministry. And that moment is the moment that I tell people, that's where I feel like I had a true conversion where, where it was no longer faith that had been handed down to me from my parents my grandparents, but that was a moment where I knew I am going to follow Jesus. I, I've had this encounter with him and I'm going to follow him for myself. And that's what I mean when I say, have you ever been somewhere and you realize this, this was bigger than I thought. And, and me going to that conference, that conference was actually inconsequential to the fact that God needed to get a hold of me. And, and, and I say all that because I, I see some of that here in this story through the life of Moses when he too comes to the realization that I'm a part of something that is bigger than me. So let me introduce you to Moses. Moses, we, we find him right about the book of Exodus. And Moses was the son of a Levite man and a Levite woman. We read in the book of Exodus that Moses is born in the time that the Hebrews lived in Egypt. And when they lived in Egypt, the Hebrews, they were a people without a land. So they were, a, they were a nation, if you will, that didn't have land of their own. They were, they were living in Egypt because they migrated into Egypt during a famine and Egypt had food. And then they just kind of hung out in Egypt. They, they, they settled in and, and planted roots there. But again, they, they were foreigners. Egypt 
I mean, that was land that belonged to the Egyptians, not to the Hebrews. And uh, Moses is born in that time. And the thing is, the Hebrews were growing and growing and growing in that time in Egypt. And Pharaoh uh, really got worried about the size of the Hebrews. And so what he wanted to do was population control. And the way he controlled the population was he was going to kill. He instructed all the midwives to the Hebrew women to kill all the baby boys that were being born. And there was a season where they just killed all of the baby boys. It's, it's a tragic story. And um, when Moses was born into this world, the Bible records that Moses' mom, again, a Levite woman, dad, Levite dads of the tribe of Levi, they knew that their son had a mark on his life. They knew that their son had a very special calling on his life. Now, I know every kid, every parent thinks their kid is special, but, but here's the length to which um, his mom went to in order to preserve his life. The Bible says that knowing that they were going to kill him, she hid him. She hid baby Moses so that the midwives wouldn't come or some sort of Egyptian, uh, you know, those in authority would, would, would find Moses and kill him. So after she tried to hide him, as long as she could, eventually she realized, I can't hide him anymore. So she came up with a plan. She, she put Moses in a basket and she sent Moses upstream. And when she sent Moses upstream, she had her daughter, Moses' sister, follow that little basket as that little basket went upstream. And she knew that if she sent Moses at a certain time during the day, it was at the time that Pharaoh's daughter would be upstream bathing. And she was hoping that Pharaoh's daughter would find this little baby, have mercy on him, and decide to keep him. And that's exactly what happened. Now, the purpose of the sister following Moses as he's going upstream was that when she was to see this through to keep an eye on her infant baby brother and sure enough pharaoh's daughter she sees baby moses and and she's just she, she fell in love with the baby and wanted to adopt the baby and there is moses's sister and moses's sister tells pharaoh's daughter um, because he is an infant he still needs to be nursed why don't i have one of the hebrew women nurse this infant. Now, Pharaoh's daughter didn't know that this was all a plan. She agreed. And so Moses now is nursed by his mother because his sister said, I know just the woman. And so Moses' mother nurses him. And while she is nursing him, he's raised in Pharaoh's palace and eventually resides in Pharaoh's palace for the first 40 years of his life. Imagine that. The adopted grandson of Pharaoh. I, I, I read that story and there's a little principle in there um, to me as a parent. It, it's my responsibility and parents watching online, it's your responsibility to do anything you can to set your child up for success. And in this case, Moses' mom knew there was something special about him. She knew that there was something about him. She had to make sure he did not die. And it worked. For 40 years, he lived in Pharaoh's palace but but here's what happened because he was nursed by his mom he knew his nationality was hebrew and he saw how over time not only did pharaoh try to crowd control and population control all of the hebrews but he forced them to be manual labor and to build the pyramids and they were dealt with extremely harshly and one day moses is watching as an Egyptian taskmaster is dealing harshly with a Hebrew man. So in that moment, Moses stepped in. And when he stepped in, he ends up killing that Egyptian taskmaster. Now he knew this was really bad. And so he ended up going on the run. 
He left Egypt because Pharaoh wanted to kill Moses because what he did was not good. And so what Moses does is he runs and he hides in the desert. The land was called Midian. Eventually he meets a woman, settles down, starts a family. But here's what happened. God wasn't done with Moses. God wasn't done with Moses. After 40 years of Moses now living out in Midian, thinking that, you know, that was really cool when I lived my best life in the palace, but that's a lifetime ago. I'm now living in the land of Midian. I, 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 am, I am married to Jethro's daughter. Jethro was Moses' father-in-law. And um, as the story goes, one day Moses is taking care of Jethro's flock. And when he's taking care of Jethro's flock, the Bible says that a bush that appeared to be burning caught the attention of Moses. He walks over to that bush and all of a sudden God gets a hold of him. And God starts to have a conversation with Moses. And God gives him a calling and he gives him a vision on his life. I want you to... Uh, um, go with me to Exodus chapter 3, verse 16 through 17. I'm going to read it to you and, and watch what happens here. Now, when God calls Moses, he says to him, go and gather the elders of Israel together and say unto them, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac and of Jacob appeared unto me saying, I have surely visited you and seen that which is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt unto the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. And, and one person inserted and the cellulite. No, I'm kidding. It doesn't say that. Unto a land flowing with milk and honey. I want you to catch that. God comes and he tells Moses, here's what you're going to do. And he gives them a two-part calling. And I'm also going to use the word calling and vision interchangeably here because we're talking about vision. God tells them, this is what I'm going to do with you. I'm going to use you to, number one, lead Egypt. I'm sorry, lead Israel out of Egypt. And number two, I'm going to have you lead them into a land that is flowing with milk and honey. Now, now here's what happened. Moses was like, Yo, I know you're not talking to me. There's no way you're talking to me. And he began to dialogue with God and tell him, you got the wrong guy. I got a stuttering problem. Um, I, I'm not even sure if I really believe you. And the Bible records this tug of war between Moses and with God until Moses could no longer deny that God had called him. It got to the point where Moses knew this is God. And here's the thing about a vision. I want you to write this down. It's one thing to have a vision, but it's another thing for the vision to have you. It's one thing to have a vision, but it's an entirely different thing for a vision to have you. And that's why I think all of this proving happened between Moses and God. And finally, Moses realized, you know what? I, I can't run from this anymore. This isn't me having a vision. Remember, Moses was happy to just live out his life in Midian, hanging out with Jethro's flock. But God got a hold of him, and now the vision had him. He didn't have the vision. And there's a difference between the two. You can have a vision, but when a vision has you, the vision's in charge, and you're along for the ride. When, when, you, when you have been so consumed with the vision that the vision's now in the driver's seat, you know that your role is not as important as the vision. You serve a part in the vision, but the vision is greater than your role. You're just along for the ride. 
Let me ask you, all of you that are watching online, how many of you don't like being along for the ride? Where are all my people that are like on the OCD side that are like, no, I drive. If I get in a car with somebody, I want to be the driver. I don't like to be the passenger. I'm going to be honest with you, I'm more of the let me drive person, okay? But I got a real funny story for you. So when I was in Bible college, um, there was a friend of mine who was attending the same college up in Stockton, California, Northern California. Stockton is ugly. It's got to be a calling to go to Stockton. Sorry to anyone watching online if you're from that area. But uh, a friend of mine, he um, was uh, from Tijuana. And so he said, hey, I'm going to drive home for the weekend. And since you're in San Diego, you're in Chula Vista, do you want to come with me? Have some company on the way home? I'll just drop you off at your parents' house and then we'll come right back up and be back at school by Monday. We're going to leave on a Friday, come back on a Monday. Like, dude, I love to go with you. So I agree to go with my friend and we're on our way down to San Diego for me, Tijuana for him. But here's the deal when I got on the car ride, and I didn't know this getting into the trip. When I got on the car ride, I began to learn a little bit about my friend. And my friend had this issue where he would never allow his gas tank to be below half tank. Once he hit half, it was like, eh, time to pull over and fill up my car. Now, for the first three, four hours of the trip, I was like, that's cool. Very responsible person. But every time we stopped, it was like, we got to go to the restroom. We got to get snacks. I got to stretch. And then I'm looking at the clock and I'm thinking, we're never going to get home at this rate. If every time we pull over at half a tank, that means it's double the amount of stops, which means we're never going to make it home. And you can imagine, I'm already that OCD person that wants to drive. I'm thinking, we're never getting home. I just want to go. It's a Friday night. We're driving late into, and we're going to get home well past midnight. And this is the way it's going. But you know what? I, I, I'm not the driver. I'm along for the ride. So I'm like going with it. And I'm like high key annoyed. But I'm like, all right, just going with it. And then the funniest thing happens. Well, it wasn't funny at the time. At the time, it upset me. Now looking back at it, it's funny. We get to Orange County and he pulls over. And I'm like, yo, what, where, why are you pulling over? He goes, I'm really tired. Would it be okay if we maybe like crashed out here for like an hour or two? Let me just get some rest and then we'll keep going. I am like the devil is a liar. At that moment, I said, that's it. You are no longer in charge. I took the keys. I said, no, I'm taking us home now. You get in the, you get in the passenger seat, and I'm going to drive us home. I got home from Orange County back to my house in record time, and I unashamedly left them with this tank with a quarter tank just to mess with them. So I'm like, I'm not filling it up at half tank. We're never going to get home. So that's what I did. But in that moment, it was like frustrating because I'm like, I'm not in charge, and I want to be in charge. But here's the deal. The reason so many people don't have bigger visions for their life is because they want to be in charge. And they know that if the vision is bigger than you, you're having to surrender to that vision. And oftentimes God is putting a big vision on your life. Oftentimes God's the one that's putting that big vision on your life and you've got to dream big. But we struggle with that because we want our visions to be something that we can have control over. Come on, that's why I think, the, the, you know, long before the Lord rose up Sister Carrie to sing that song, Jesus, take the wheel, we had to learn to let him take the wheel in our lives. But many of us don't want to let him take the wheel. The reason you don't see a bigger, the reason you don't have a bigger vision for your life is you have a hard time surrendering to God and saying, you're in charge. It's going to be done your way. It's going to be your plans. And it's not going to be my plans. That's what it means to let the vision have you. But listen, I learned a long time ago that his ways are better than my ways. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. And I am okay with saying, okay, God, here's the keys. You drive this thing. And that's what I want to get you to today. 
I want to get you to the point where you are comfortable having a vision so big that it scares you because you're not in charge. I want you to have a vision so big. I want you to have a vision so big that you know there's no way that I can do this without God. That's exactly where he wants you to be. So here's what happens. And here's what we see in the text. Now, Moses, God spoke to Moses. Remember, he told him two things. Number one, you are going to lead the Israel nation out of Egypt. But then number two, okay, number two, then what's going to happen is you are going to lead them into the promised land. But something happened along the way. And we read this story while they were in the wilderness that God commanded Moses to do something and Moses didn't do it. And because Moses didn't do it, God, God said to Moses, because you didn't do exactly what I said for you to do, you're not going to do part two of that vision. You're not going to be the one to lead them into the promised land. And here's what happens. Moses continued to serve the vision because when you have a big vision, the vision should outlive you. Did you catch that? If you've got a big vision, the vision should outlive you. You should have a vision so big that it doesn't get done in your lifetime. You should have a vision that is so big that it's going to take other people to carry that baton after you've gone on and gone to heaven. And they're going to see that thing through to completion. And Moses, he served the vision even though he didn't get to see the vision come to pass. Think about that for a second. God says, I'm going to have you do one and two. He gets one done and God says, now you ain't going to do two. And Moses has to still serve God and not get bitter. Moses has to still serve God and trust that the vision is bigger than him and that God is going to still do everything according to his word. Now, here's the problem with some of us. We are so small minded that we want a vision that begins and ends with us. Come on. We want to be the hero in our own story. We, we want the vision to end with us because we want it to have been said that it was something that we did. And that's just our nature. And I'm not, hey, listen, I'm not shaming you today. But the truth is, there are many people, and I've met many people that want their vision to end with them. It was my thing. I got it done. But that's not kingdom. If you look throughout the Bible, it is this constant passing of the baton from one generation to the next generation. Moses, you're going to lead them in. Just kidding. Joshua, you're going to lead them in. And you still have to be faithful to serve the vision. And you still have to be committed to the things that God is doing. Because it's not enough just to have a God vision. It's not enough just to have a, a, a big vision, a, a, a vision for your life. But you have to have a vision that is big enough that it outlives you. You have to have a vision so great that when you are gone, there are still people serving that vision. Now, a small-minded person can't live that way. They've got to be the hero to their own story. But that's not the kingdom of God. You see, a vision leaves a legacy. A vision leaves a legacy behind. I want to take you to the book of Joshua, chapter 11 verses 11 through 12, and show this to you. So Moses, I read to you the very opening passage of scripture where Moses assembled everyone and said, look, I'm not going into the promised land. Moses announced that then, but he knew decades earlier he wasn't going. He didn't say nothing to anybody. But that's a man of God serving a vision that's bigger than him. But finally, he announces to everyone, hey, this is what's going to happen. Let's go to Joshua chapter 11, verses 11 through 12. And let me tee up this story for you. So Joshua gets into the promised land along with the Israel nation, and they are 
rocking and rolling. First, it's Jericho. The walls of Jericho come down. And they start taking territory after territory after territory after territory. The only time they ever suffered defeat is when they got in their own way, when they didn't do exactly what God commanded them to do so God would let them lose a battle, but they eventually won the war. And so they are just steamrolling the land of Canaan. And here's what happens. It's a great story in Joshua chapter 11. What happens in Joshua chapter 11 is there is one king, King Hazer, and he's looking around like, hey, uh, we, we need to get some of our kingdoms to band together because... Israelites are coming. They are going to smoke us. So what King Hazer does is he gets three other kingdoms to partner with him. A total of four kingdoms now unite to fight against Joshua and the Israel nation. And what happens? God gives them the victory. They win the battle and they do exactly as God commanded them to do. Watch this in chapter 11, verse 11. And it reads as follows. And they smote all the souls that were therein with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying them. There was not left anyone to breathe, and he burnt Hazer with fire. And all the cities of those kings and all the kings of them did Joshua take and smote them with the edge of the sword, and he utterly destroyed them. As Moses, uh-oh, Moses, Mo Moses is dead. Moses is buried, but, but, but here, 11 chapters later, we see Moses says, as Moses, the servant of the Lord commanded, jump down to verse 15, as the Lord commanded Moses, there's Moses once again, his servant, so did Moses command Joshua, and so did Joshua. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord commanded Joshua. Think about that for a second. Joshua goes in. He fights. He does exactly what the Lord does. And whose name shows up right there when the victory was won? Moses. Because a big vision leaves a legacy. And that's the type of impact that we should be trying to have on this world. We shouldn't have a vision that dies with us, but we should have a vision that gets handed down to the next generation, that there is a legacy. There is a vision legacy that the next generation picks up and they keep on running. How sad if your vision dies with you because you've got no one to cheer on when you get to heaven. How sad that the vision dies with you and there's no reason for you to watch the next generation because you've left them nothing to carry out. Whether that's your children, whether that's your spiritual children, or whether that's something you're doing for the kingdom of God, you have got to leave a legacy. Your vision has got to be so big that the next generation after you can come and carry that to completion. I think of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, where it reads as follows, Wherefore, seeing we are also coming Compassed about with such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the kind, uh, I'm sorry, the race that is set before us. I want you to get this. Paul was saying, We are running this race, and there is a cloud of witnesses. Why are there people watching? Because they left the legacy for the next generation, and they left the legacy for the next generation, and they left the vision for the next generation. And 
it is this constant baton that is being passed from generation to generation. And it's a beautiful thing when you have your opportunity to join that cloud of witnesses and you look down at the legacy that you left behind and someone is carrying out the vision that God put in your heart. And someone is still moving the kingdom forward according to the vision that God put in your heart. I want to be like that great cloud of witnesses. I want to be up there looking down at my son Jaden and looking down at my son Jude and looking down at my son Jackson and seeing them carry out the vision that God has put in my heart. And I'm getting ready to come to a close now. But but do you get what the scripture is teaching us here? Moses got a calling, but he didn't see it through. It was Joshua's job to carry it out. And if you get all the way to the end of the book of Joshua, Joshua starts committing the next generation. As a matter of fact, there's a man by the name of Caleb who was with Joshua way back earlier in time when Joshua and Caleb went to go spy out the promised land. And you have this moment where Caleb comes back to Joshua and Joshua's getting ready to die. Joshua's distributing all the land and territory that they had conquered. And Caleb says to Joshua, Joshua, I want you to give me the land that Moses promised me the day that you and I went to go spy out the promised land. And we were the only two that came back with a positive report saying we can conquer. He said, would you give me this hill? I love how the Bible records it. Caleb was 85 years old, 85. He was no spring chicken. And he said to Joshua, I want that piece of land over there. And what Caleb knew about that land was there was enemies up there that he had to drive out. And Caleb said this to Joshua as Joshua was getting ready to die. He said, give me that land. And if I drive them out, then it was God's portion for me. But if I die in the process, then it wasn't the land that God had for me. And Caleb conquered that hill because he was next. He was next and he left the land and inheritance to his next generation. I'm talking about a legacy. I'm talking about a vision that is so big that it's handed down from generation to generation. And as I come to a close, I was reminded of this conversation that I had with Pastor Phil. Y'all know who I'm talking about. Pastor Phil here on our production team. He leads our productive team and our creative team. And Pastor Phil and I one day, uh, well, let me, let me give you a little backstory. When, when Joanna and I really felt called of God to launch Lighthouse Church North County, Pastor Phil was the first person I called. And I was like, hey, Phil, you know, God put it in my heart to launch a church in North County what do you think, man? Do you think I could do it? Do you think we'd be a fit for that region? And ever since then, Pastor Phil's been rolling with me. And, and you know, Pastor Phil and I, we go way back. We've known each other since we're like six or seven years old. Like, I'll tell you how far back we go. Y'all ready for the, I got a good story for you, okay? This, is, this wasn't even in my notes, all right? But me and Phil, we go back to the time when Hulk Hogan wrestled the ultimate warrior in Wrestlemania. And me and my brothers went to Phil's house to watch Wrestlemania and watch the ultimate warrior beat Hulk Hogan. That's how old I am. I'm really sad to say that. Anyway, uh, but we go back, back, okay? All that to say is we go back, back. And, um... And, and so, you know, when Phil got married, he moved to North County and, and, and we hadn't been in touch like we used to when we were younger. But, but I remember calling Pastor Phil and said, hey, we're getting ready to start this church. And ever since that phone call, he's been rolling with us. He's been a part of this vision. He's been a part of this dream. And we launched Lighthouse Church North County with 74 people and, and God's been faithful every step of the way. But I remember this conversation him and I had. It was right in the heat of setup and teardown. I believe we were tearing down after Sunday service and uh, as a portable church, nobody loves to tear it out. Everyone wants to go home. Everyone just like wants to go 
out to eat, you know, spend time with family. It's a Sunday, but it's a portable church. You got to tear down. And we were right in the thick of, of tearing down. And uh, I remember telling Phil, I said, hey, you know who's really going to benefit from all this stuff that we're doing, right? And he's like, who's that? And I said, our kids. Our kids are. Everything that we are working so hard to build, our kids are going to reap the benefit of all of our hard work. And then I said, and they're going to take what we hand them and they are going to go further and they are going to go higher. And I hope to God they take Lighthouse Church to places that we were never able to take it to. Lighthouse Church North County is a vision that is going to outlive me. Lighthouse Church North County is a church that will go down to the next generation and the next generation. I tell people, we, 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 didn't, we didn't put a church here that's going to be around for 10 years. We put a church here that God willing, if he tarries, that it's going to be here for hundreds of years. This isn't about Pastor Josh. It's not about Pastor Phil. But it's going to be about the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. That is a vision that leaves a legacy and a vision that outlives you. And so this month... Every one of you that is watching online, if you've been thinking about what is going to be my vision, I want to ask you, what is going to be the vision that outlives you? What's going to be the impact that you make that outlives you? What's the thing that you are going to do that your son or daughter is going to have to pick up that baton and keep running with it? And if you don't know what that is, my hope and prayer is that God would show it to you. My hope and prayer is God would show you. A, a move, a, a, a kingdom effort, something that God's going to reveal to you. This is what you're going to do, and it's going to outlive you. And one of these days, you'll be with that great cloud of witnesses looking down as other people are finishing what you started, as they advance the kingdom of God further, as they advance the kingdom of God to more remote places, that, that more people are coming to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, that the gospel is reaching every corner of this world. That's what it means to be a part of something that's bigger than you. Moses didn't get to see the vision through. But when Joshua saw it through, they were talking about Moses. They said, oh, this, this, is, this is because of Moses. And because Moses served the vision. And even when they told Moses, because of your disobedience, you're not going to see the promise. He didn't throw a temper tantrum. He didn't insist on getting his own way. He just served the vision. And my prayer is that, that God would give you that kind of vision. Let's pray together right there where you're at. Father, I thank you for our time together. And I thank you, Lord God, for this opportunity to read from your word. Father, you've been with us on this journey of reset. You've pivoted us and we've been talking about vision. And Father, my hope and prayer today is that they would receive from you, Father, a vision that leaves a legacy that they would receive something from you, Lord God, so impactful that it's not done in their lifetime. But there's another generation that comes and carries that baton. And that the generation after them comes and carries that baton. Because, Father, that's what your kingdom is. It is moving from one generation to the next generation to the next generation, never ceasing until you come and take your church. And I pray, God, that we would have that same drive. I pray, Father, that we would have that same commitment. Lord, that our vision would be something that leaves a legacy here on this earth, eternally serving your cause, eternally serving your kingdom, Father. In your precious name we pray.
If this message has blessed your life, I want to encourage you to share this message with others or go online to our website and consider making a donation so that we can continue bringing you content just like today's message. God bless you.